You're listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This series is designed as a companion for Michael's book, A Call for Courage, Living with Power, Truth, and Love in an Age of Intolerance and Fear. Grab your copy on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or wherever books are sold. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only, uniquely brought forth, one-of-a-kind son, Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. It's probably the most famous verse in all of the Bible. And you need to know that God loves you and that God wants to rescue you, or if he has rescued you, that eternal life begins here and now. But here's the question for us Christians today in the United States of America. What am I supposed to do with Jesus once I know him as Savior? How am I supposed to live for Jesus today? There's a disconnect that's happening today in our nation. And what I want to do is put an end to that disconnect and help you make a reconnection to the purpose of your life, how your family should be living, how a church should be functioning, how a nation should should be loving and serving the God of the Bible, the living and true God. There's only one God. Everyone else who claims to be a God, every other religion or philosophy that claims that you can live your life around something or somebody else, all that stuff is nonsense. If you know the Bible, you know that that's true. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, and so he still says, everyone who came before me was a liar. So either Jesus is lying or he's telling the truth, and the truth sets people free. But there's a huge disconnect today for the average person who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and unfortunately, there's a huge disconnect for many pastors and teachers, Christian teachers and Christian leaders. They're not bringing the Bible to bear on the specific moral and social and political and theological issues of the day. And so our gospel only is focused upon the salvation of Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his only uniquely brought forth son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Well, I know that. You know that. The question is, once I know Jesus as my Savior, how am I supposed to live for him as Lord in a new world of disorder? Haven't you noticed that we're living in a new world of disorder, right is wrong, wrong is right, up is down, down is up, left is right, right is left, black is white, white is black. It's all been turned topsy-turvy. And so you want to be not just an inch deep and a mile wide as a follower of Jesus, you want to have deep roots in Jesus. You want to know what it is to build the kingdom of God and the power of God for the glory of God, don't you? Don't you want to know how to do that? You want to know what it means to live for Christ as Lord, that means master, not just understand him as Savior. It's a beautiful, great thing to have all of your sins removed the moment you give your life to Jesus. But if that's the extent of your knowledge of Jesus, you're an inch deep. You need to go deeper in the Lord Jesus. You need to know how you should be living today in the United States of America. You know, this was a significant week, again, in our nation. Huge decisions made by the Supreme Court of the United States of America, and frankly, you should be concerned that they were so close 
several of them, five to four decisions, and it helps us understand, like it or not, the truth is, the president is a huge player, not only in the political realm, but also in the theological realm, because the president gets to present Supreme Court nominees that then our Congress gets to approve or disapprove. So it's huge, because if the Supreme Court were stacked in the opposite direction of where it currently is now, some of these decisions that were just as recent as this past week would have gone in a different direction, because they were five to four decisions on multiple counts. For example, a California court had already ruled that these crisis pregnancy centers that were religious in nature, they had to provide information to clients who came their way about abortion. And so the Supreme Court said, no, that violates the whole purpose of why a religious crisis pregnancy center exists in the first place. Five to four decisions shouldn't have even been that close. And so if the Supreme Court hadn't decided that way, do you understand what was at stake? You probably don't. It means that a religious, a Christian crisis pregnancy center would have been compelled to violate its religious or Christian values that believes that abortion is wrong, and they would have had to provide information about abortion to somebody who's coming to them to get help. Are you kidding me? In the state of Washington, there was a decision made that a florist who had provided a same-sex couple with floral services for about 10 years, they were finally asked to provide floral services for the same-sex union. And the woman refused, was taken to court. The state of Washington said that she acted in violation of the anti-discrimination law, and the Supreme Court said, we don't think so. Very close in their decision, Supreme Court. They sent it back to the state of Washington to reconsider the case. And we're gonna talk about the significance of this case and how we as followers of Jesus should be handling disagreements in a God-honoring, peaceful and yet unapologetic way, because I don't think many of you, as much as you're reading A Call for Courage, as much as there's excitement about the philosophy that's presented within, there's a disconnect still for a great many of you, because you still don't understand the importance of speaking the truth with love. Speaking the truth with love. Let's look at this clip so that you get to see and hear for yourself the kindness and the humility of how this woman stood up and spoke out and stood her ground. Let's watch. Fox News alert for you this morning as we await two major decisions from the Supreme Court. Yesterday, the high court granted the appeal of a Washington state florist who was fined after she refused to sell flowers to a gay couple for their wedding. The case now heading to lower courts where they will figure out how an earlier Supreme Court case involving a Colorado baker affects this case. Joining me now is Baron L. Stutzman, the florist at the center of the case, and her attorney, Kristen Wagoner. Thank you to both of you for being here this morning. Uh, first, Baron L., I want to get your, your reaction to the Supreme Court's decision not to take up this case. 
Well, we were elated that they're going to send it back down to Washington State Supreme Court. So now, Kristen, this goes back to the lower courts. What do you expect there? Well, we expect to have a fair hearing. The court in Masterpiece Cake Shop said that both sides of the marriage debate deserve to be treated with respect and that their beliefs shouldn't be disparaged, that they both belong in the marketplace. So we're hopeful. So, Baronel, could you kind of give us the, the background again on your case? And, and you really wound up at the center of a firestorm. I suppose you could have never predicted this to be the case. But, but what exactly occurred here that, that resulted in this ending up in the Supreme Court? Yes, this, this was not on my bucket list when uh, Rob came in to talk to me about his wedding, and I've waited on Rob for 10 years, and it has been a joy. But when he came in to talk about his wedding, I just told him I could not do it because my faith in Jesus Christ. And he said he understood, and we talked about his wedding and mom walking him down the aisle, and he asked if I would recommend another florist, which I recommended three, and we hugged each other, and Rob left. It's a fascinating case that has captivated the nation. And now, in light of this masterpiece cake shop decision, Kristen, perhaps you can give us some sort of idea, as this heads now down to the lower courts, how that is going to affect the decision-making and the result of, of this case. Well, the Supreme Court wiped out the Washington Supreme Court decision in Baronel's case and said you need to reconsider her case in light of what we said in Masterpiece Cake Shop. And the court in Masterpiece said that religious hostility by the government has no place in a pluralistic society. And again, affirmed, as it has done before, that people of goodwill are on both sides of this debate and that all Americans should not be forced from the marketplace or the public square because of their reasonable belief that marriage is between a man and a woman. Baronel, are you still actively uh, active with your business at the moment? Yes. How has it affected I'm business very, for I'm you? I'm very thankful and very grateful. How is business? Uh, business has been business has been steady. People are very uh, they support us very well in our area, so we're very grateful for that. Kristen, it, it is going to open a much bigger, a much much bigger question, perhaps uh, um, you know more serious disagreements down the road, perhaps as to what discretion and or what circumstances businesses can refuse their services or their products to same-sex couples. Where do you expect this to go long-term? Well, I think the, the other side has mischaracterized what we've argued for at Masterpiece and what the courts decided. This isn't about denying service to anyone. The only cases that are being litigated here are to force people to participate in custom work, handmade, hand-tailored, uh, one-of-a-kind work, and to express a message or celebrate a religious ceremony. So this isn't about denying service. Baronel serves everyone, and she welcomes all people into her shop, just as she served Rob Ingersoll for 10 years, knowing that he was gay. Well, Kristen, thank you, and, and Baronel, thank you for telling your story, and, and you are a, a business owner, and as you just told us, you're still actively in your business today, and, and we'll continue to watch this as it heads to the lower courts now. Thank you for coming on the program this morning. Thank you. Thank you. I think tastefully expressed, don't you think so? I think tactfully, tastefully expressed. I wanted you to see and hear it for yourself because there's a lot of mischaracterization going on these days. And we don't need mischaracterization. We need things to be put in their proper context. And just so that we are clear, okay? You want to treat people 
who disagree with you about a variety of issues, a variety of issues, even if it's something very fundamental from what we know the Bible is very black and white about, whatever issue it might be, all right? It could be not just this issue, it could be any other issue. You need to be able to speak the truth, but to do it in love. And what's at stake now in the nation is that people of faith are being compelled to not simply allow things to happen, but to celebrate things that are happening, even though they violate deeply held biblical values. There's a difference there. And I hope that you're kind and that you're polite to people, that you're loving to people when they disagree with you so that people can see the love of Christ in you, while at the same time, you're not compromising on truth. You can learn how to disagree with people agreeably. In fact, that's one of the signs of emotional intelligence as well as spiritual maturity. The inability to disagree with people when you have deep differences is really a reflection on the person who cannot express themselves in a God-honoring, godly, humble, uncompromising way. And I think the florist is a great example of courageous humility, a great example of that. And it's a great example of the battle that is raging in our nation. It helps us understand not only the significance of the Supreme Court, but also federal courts and circuit courts and the decisions that they make and the judicial appointees who are put into those positions by the president. Very, very important for us to understand that there is a battle that's raging in the country right now for fundamental religious freedom. That we have the First Amendment on the books while the books are actually being torn up and definitions of the freedom of speech, the freedom of religion, the freedom of religious assembly and religious expression, they're being redefined right before our very eyes through legislation in the name of passing laws of anti-discrimination. And so we as followers of Jesus, we need to get our heads out of our buckets. Many of us have our heads in our buckets, and we want to focus on John 3.16 and getting saved. We want our salvation. We want our, quote-unquote, fire insurance. We want to make sure that our eternal destiny is secure. And yet we don't have much depth to our walks with Jesus thereafter. And as a pastor speaking about pastors respectfully, and perhaps even to pastors. I think a lot of the responsibility falls on our shoulders because we're afraid of public opinion. And what we're really afraid of is not teaching people, ironically, what the truth is about God's word. For all of our talk about making disciples, and that's why the church exists, and that's the Great Commission, and all the times that we recite it, at the end of the day, we don't do a very good job about teaching people how to follow Jesus once you come to know him as Savior. But that's not what we're about here. That's not the way I approach things. I don't want you to be, and you don't want to be, an inch deep and a mile wide. You don't want to be satisfied with only knowing Jesus as your Savior, you want to live for him as the master of your life in every area of life. And that's why 
a passage like 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, is so vital for your life. It's so significant for your family. It's so massive for the church when it comes to fulfilling the Great Commission. And that's why I want you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. It puts things into context as you ask and answer this question for yourself and for your family and for your church. So what kind of follower of Jesus Christ am I supposed to be anyway? Now that I know Jesus as my Savior, how am I supposed to live for Jesus as my Lord? Here's the answer. As the Bible always presents answers to all the questions we'll face in life. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. With complete patience and teaching. Now, people say today Jesus didn't judge. But right there it is in verse 1, one of the fundamental teachings of the Bible, that Jesus not only did judge, not only does Jesus judge now, but he's coming back to judge. There's a difference between being judgmental and judging. And you need to know the difference. And quite frankly, some of you don't know the difference because you will tweet or post something on Facebook that is obnoxious and offensive, and it's an underhanded comment or an underhanded meme or a photograph or a picture or artwork, and you will slam somebody with that razor-sharp tongue that you have, and you hit post, and you fold your arms, and you can't wait to go back to Facebook and see the after effects of that pebble you dropped in the pond because you know it's going to be a burr under somebody's saddle. And then later on in the day, you'll go back to Twitter. You'll go back to Facebook and you will post the most amazingly powerful, potent comment about Jesus Christ that is worthy of going viral. And you don't see the disconnect. You are offending me. by saying you're reading a call for courage when you ain't reading it. You got a bookmark in the book and you just finished another chapter and all you're doing is putting feathers in your cap because you're not learning how to speak the truth with love. You don't realize how hypocritical you look when you slam somebody on social media and you're demonstrating you don't have good social skills whether it's in the virtual world or the real world. The battle is not against people. It is against ideologies that people embrace. Stop mistaking the people for the enemy. Stop using Facebook the way you use it. Some of you should be deeply convicted right now to the point where you need to repent because it's a reflection of what's going on in your heart. You don't get it. Do you really care about the lost? Have you forgotten that you were lost at one point? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. I was a prisoner, and now I'm free. Guess what? They're still a prisoner. 
They don't yet know the freedom that you now know in Jesus. They're held captive to worldly and diabolical, satanic philosophies. And until you start weeping for the lost, stop sending out memes on social media. Stop posting things on social media that might be witty. Listen, Abraham Lincoln is not alive today. He's not saying the things that you say that are attributed to him, okay? Stop saying, I just heard a cool thing yesterday from Abraham Lincoln. He's not around, but you post things as if they're fact without even knowing if they're fact. And then you post something about Jesus that's a warm and fuzzy. And you know those same people who saw that obnoxious comment by you a couple of hours earlier, or in some cases, a few minutes earlier, they don't want to follow Jesus. If that's what following Jesus looks like. Can I get an amen for that? Why should they follow that kind of follower of Jesus when you're not really following Jesus? It's not just restricted to social media. That's just a reflection of the way our lives are socially and our lack of concern for the lost. There's a difference between being judgmental and judging people. You have to judge what's right and what's wrong, whether or not your own behavior is in alignment with the scriptures or out of alignment. You have to judge with your children whether their behavior is right or their attitude that's expressed in their behavior is right or wrong. You have to judge. You can't follow Jesus if you're not committed to reading the Bible, judging your own life, judging your family, judging your business practices. Those those of you who are entrepreneurs and people who are small business owners or if you're out in the world working for somebody else, you have to judge whether something is ethical or unethical, right or wrong, but that's not the same as being judgmental, right? Jesus was not judgmental while all the time he passed judgment. And if you're really following Jesus, you're going to pass judgment too. Why are our hearts not broken for lost people? You need to be developing relationships with people in the workplace and in your neighborhood, and you need to be inviting them to church. You need to be inviting them to your life group. Well, that might mess up my life group. God needs to mess up many of our lives. Much of what has become of American Christianity is not biblical. Much of it. In a very real sense, American Christianity needs to be saved. If that's going to happen, you need to save it by taking your faith with Jesus seriously, more seriously than you've ever taken it before. And that's why a passage like 2 Timothy chapter 4 is so important for you to understand as a disciple of Jesus who wants to go deeper in Jesus and wants to know how to live for him beyond your fire insurance, beyond salvation. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke. Yes. Yes. And exhort. And here's how. With a high and mighty attitude and a short fuse. Is that what it says? Get out there and use social media to beat people down. Not what it says. With Complete patience and teaching. I love the adjective that's used there, complete. Your life and your interactions with other people is to be so characterized by patience and teaching that 
it's supposed to be known as complete patience. I don't know about you, but I'm incomplete. I've got to grow in this area. Can I get a show of hands if you agree with that? You're not done yet if your patience is incomplete. You're not done yet if your life is not characterized this way. You need to go deeper in Jesus. Complete patience and teaching. Here's why. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. That's the day and age that we're living in today. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth. Listen, truth matters. Still matters. We're not saying let's compromise on the truth. It matters. It's how you communicate the truth. It's how the truth is packaged and delivered. That's what Paul's talking about. In your process, in your journey of delivering the truth, the timeless teachings of Jesus, make sure you're delivering it in such a way that it's characterized by complete patience and authentic, accurate teaching. It matters. Don't compromise on the truth, but stop compromising on your love. Stop compromising on your love for people, because until you love people, you can talk about loving God all you want. You ain't convincing anybody. And we're only fooling ourselves. Their time is coming. People will turn away from listening to the truth, wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Always be sober-minded or Keep your head in all circumstances, the New International Version says. Keep your head in all circumstances. Endure suffering. What? Suffering? That's not part of my gospel. Well, it's part of the biblical gospel. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Listen, you might not be an evangelist, but God has given you a ministry. God has given everybody a ministry, and that ministry is to represent the Lord Jesus Christ with excellence with complete patience, with a commitment to the truth and to communicate the truth with love and compassion because the time is coming. Listen, the time is already here. Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago. We're living in that day, in that age that Paul was warning Timothy about. People are not going to put up with sound doctrine. They're not going to want sound teaching. They're going to gather around people to hear what their itching ears want to hear. But you've got to remain completely patient. You've got to continue to walk with Jesus or start walking with Jesus the way you never have. And that's what God's calling is for us. Stop being satisfied with where you've been with Jesus up to this point and embrace a holy discontentedness and say to the Lord, Lord, forgive me. I have been content with being an inch deep and a mile wide in you. I want to go deep. I want to go a mile deep with you. Help me to stay right here to get this through my cranium, into my head, into my heart. I'm trying. We're living in a day, in an age, where people don't want to hear sound doctrine. They don't even want to hear it in church. And that's why many pastors and Christian leaders aren't preaching sound doctrine in churches. That's why many pastors and teachers, unfortunately, many churches, they're not addressing the issues of the day. And they say, well, that's a political issue. Listen, I don't think you're hearing what I'm saying. When a politician acts like a pastor, the pastor needs to start helping the politician understand. Listen, you don't understand about theology. What the florist dealt with, is a theological issue. It's been hijacked by the political realm. What Jack Phillips 
went through, that's a theological issue. What Coach Kennedy dealt with and will be dealing with when the Supreme Court hears his case, coach in Washington, getting down at the 50-yard line after a football game and praying, was told he was forbidden and he was fired. That is a theological issue, and he was forbidden because of the laws, because of the standards of the school system. Listen, (laughs) if you disengage, if we continue to be disengaged, if we keep our heads in our buckets, legislation is going to continue to be passed, judges are going to be appointed who do not embrace God-honoring theology. And it's going to make its way onto the football field. And it's going to make its way into your business. And it's going to make its way into your church. I don't care what the philosophy is. If it's contradictory to God's vision for every society and every nation, then you need to oppose it as a deeply rooted follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. Look with me now at 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2. I want you to understand God's vision not only for your life. We live in a very individualistic society, don't we? And we don't understand that the Bible often speaks to not just our individual lives, but also to entire cultures and nations and societies. That the will of God is not just a personal thing, it's also a corporate thing a group thing. And so I want you to understand what the Bible says, what God's vision is for every society and for every nation, not just the United States, but for every nation. Look with me at 1 Timothy in chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, all right? He says this, first of all, first of all means this is kind of important, I want to lay this out for you so that you really understand what's significant and what's important. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. See, that's what God wants. He wants us to be able to live peaceful and quiet, godly or holy And by the way, holiness is directly tied to obedience to the teachings of Jesus. You can't be holy. I can't be holy on our own terms. To love God is to obey God. To obey God is to love God. So let's not just zip right over that word godly and just move on to something else. It's a very important adjective. Your life needs to be described as one that is godly, that is holy. In fact, the book of Hebrews says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord, another word for godliness. So it's huge, it's important. This is God's will. This is the will of God for every society and every nation. Let this sink in. First of all, I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. That would be the president, his cabinet, Supreme Court justices, federal court justices, circuit court justices, school board members, teachers in the public school, teachers in private schools, everybody. Paul isn't being exhaustive here, but he's laying out a principle. You need to be praying for people who are influencers, key decision makers, leaders. 
And if you're not paying attention, then how can you pray for them? That's why you need, we need to get our heads out of the bucket. If you're not paying attention to what's happening in society, then you're not going to be effectively praying for what's happening in society, which means you will be disconnected as a, somebody who says that you are a follower of Jesus. You won't be following Jesus very closely because if you say that you're a follower of Jesus, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Not just to say, I am a follower of Jesus. A follower of Jesus lives this way. And if you don't know how to pray for people in authority, how to pray for people in positions of leadership, you won't do it and you'll disengage. And you will allow yourself to be an inch deep, mile wide follower of Jesus who's only concerned about their eternal destiny and is not salt and light on our way to getting there. And that's the problem with, when I say American Christianity needs to be saved, that's the problem. We're preaching portions of the gospel and we don't understand the lordship of Jesus Christ. Salt permeates. Salt takes distasteful things and makes it tasteful. Light saturates, overcomes, right? So you should be paying attention to Supreme Court decisions. You should be paying attention to this 28-year-old girl, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, 28-year-old girl who just unseated for the Democratic primary in the 14th Congressional District in New York on just this past week on Tuesday. Surprising upset, a year ago, Alexandria was a bartender. She won and she was outspent by the incumbent more than 15 to 1. The incumbent spent $3.4 million and she spent $194,000. And she is an open, blatant socialist. She is for universal Medicare for everybody, universal employment. Everybody is guaranteed a job at $15 an hour. If you can't get a job, you're guaranteed a $15 an hour job adjusted to inflation, of course, by the federal government. She is for ending the much-needed war against drugs. She says, let's just put up their white flag. No more. We don't want that anymore. An open, blatant socialist. You might say, well, it actually seems pretty compassionate. Socialism, you know, helping people who are having difficulty and hardship. Um, why can't we level the playing field? Because here's what happens in a socialist society. I want you to understand this. While people talk about the 1%, right, that we got to be against the 1%, they set up government institutions and put people in leadership positions, and the leaders and the government institutions end up being the 1%. For example, in Cuba, you want to buy a house in Cuba? Cuba, you know, open, Cuba, Cuba opened up its diplomatic relations with the U.S. Beautiful, wonderful thing. You can now buy property in Cuba. Here's the, the asterisk and the footnote to buying property. It's all still government owned, and you get to have it for a 75-year lease. And after that, it goes back to the government. That's what socialism looks like. See, people say, well, capitalism is evil. It's, it's the devil. It's bad. Were you talking about this in church? I'm absolutely talking about it in church because you need to understand that this is a theological issue. It's not just socialism versus capitalism. Listen, if you care about people, I hope you do as a follower of Jesus, then give people your money. You do it. You get a better return on your dollar if you do it directly. 
you have compassion for people, I hope you do as a follower of Jesus, you're reading your Bible, then take a large portion of your money and give it to the poor people. Give it to your church. Give it to a ministry that can then use that money for a great effect, much more effectively than the government can. You need to understand that socialism and its big 500-pound gorilla mother, communism, is simply Christianity without Christ. That's what it is. And so it's very telling that we're living in a day and an age where socialism is now seen as the Savior instead of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to wake up in the body of Christ and go back to, as we move forward, to the brand of Christianity that we see in the book of Acts that somebody recently preached the whole series for over like almost two years on the book of Acts. Somebody somewhere did that. And the whole title was how Christians live, not how they used to live. Listen, Christians used to share their possessions, no needy people among them. And the communists came along in 1848. Karl Marx, this thing called the Communist Manifesto, and said, let's take Christ out of Christianity and let's replace God with the government. And so it's very telling that we're living in a day and an age where millennials see socialism as being the better of the systems. I want you to understand, this is a great book. If you're looking for a great book, The Deadliest Monster by J.F. Baldwin. This is an overview of different worldviews. And it's a thin book. For those of you who don't like to read, you need to read this book, all right? J.F. Baldwin's The Deadliest Monster. And on page 43 and 44, I want to read you an excerpt so that you understand this is not just me talking about it. I'm trying to educate you. And some of you might make the mistake. You might think, hey, this was a good message, but it would have been good for a Sunday school class. Further evidence that we are not paying attention at the most critical time in our nation's history. Marxism, communism, the mother of socialism. Marxism, the most comprehensive atheistic worldview, is named for its founder, Karl Marx, but owes much of its foundation to Marx's friend and financial supporter, Frederick Engels, and to the first leader of the Soviet Union, Vladimir Lenin. The most acceptable date for the origin of this worldview is 1848 when Marx and Engels published the Communist Manifesto. Marx's theory is based on economic determinism, or I would say salvation, a view of history that assumes that a nation's government and all its societal institutions and even each citizen's consciousness are determined by the economic system of that nation. Now, last time I checked, when I read my Bible, all my decisions are supposed to be based on my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, whether I'm in good standing or not in good standing, and the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, right? According to this view, capitalism creates a better society than feudalism, which was the Middle Age idea of lords and subjects, and you worked for your lord, meaning the person who owned the land and the farm that you worked on. So according to this view, capitalism creates a better society than feudalism, but it's still hopelessly antiquated compared to communism, the only economic system that can create the foundation for paradise. So you're trying to recreate a paradise without the paradise giver. You just 
you want Jesus out of it. Everyone poisoned, quote unquote, by the capitalist mentality must submit to or be destroyed by the working class, which will establish a societal dictatorship that will eventually evolve into communism. Man, according to this view, is a perfectible being who only requires the right economic system to get in touch with his basic goodness. People in capitalistic societies cannot really be blamed for their actions because their attitudes are tainted by a primitive economic system. Once worldwide communism is achieved, there will be no need for laws and for governments because everyone will freely choose to act properly all the time. At that time, each man will work according to his ability and receive according to his needs. No, actually, one day, everyone will receive according to his or her deeds. And those deeds will be reflection either of following the Lord Jesus Christ or not following the Lord Jesus Christ. All that socialism is is a recapitulation, a regurgitation of Christianity and the idea of helping each other out without the Lord Jesus Christ. So it is a system that believes that People are basically good, and if you're basically good, you don't need salvation, and you don't need a savior. It's diametrically opposed, not just to capitalism, but more importantly to Christianity. Why is capitalism important? Because you get the opportunity to make as much money as you want, and then you get to be as generous as you want, giving that money to whatever needs you want to give them to without the government saying, or Big Brother saying, or somebody saying, here's how you are going to use that money. So here's something from the Washington Times, all right? Millennials would rather live in socialist or communist nations than under capitalism, according to a poll done in November of last year. The majority of millennials would prefer to live in a socialist, communist, or fascist nation rather than a capitalistic one. In the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation's annual report on U.S. attitudes towards socialism, 58% of the up-and-coming generation opted for one of these three systems, socialism, communism, and fascism. Think of Adolf Hitler, fascism, okay? Compared to 42% who said they were in favor of capitalism. Marion Smith, executive director of the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation, said the report shows that millennials are, quote, increasingly turning away from capitalism and towards socialism and even communism as a viable alternative. This troubling turn highlights widespread historical illiteracy in American society regarding socialism and the systemic failure of our education system to teach students about the genocide, destruction, and misery caused by communism since the Bolshevik Revolution 100 years ago, Mr. Smith said in a statement. In the poll, only 33% of millennials were able to identify the correct definition of socialism. <laughs> My apologies to you if you're a millennial, okay? Hopefully this will motivate you to get educated. Where millennials struggled compared to other generations was in the identification of capitalism. Just 51% correctly said capitalism is the economic system based on free markets and the rule of law with legal protections for private ownership. That was by far the lowest of any age cohort. Americans as a whole are in big trouble if this is our future.
You know we're living in a different day and age when a socialist can rise to power and people can applaud it and say, that's what I want. What we're doing is we're embracing and applauding political enslavement. Listen, the only person you want telling you what to do in your life is the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the truth of the matter, the truth of the matter is that we are sinners in need of salvation, in need of a savior that no government can be. No government institution, no president, no institution created by man will save us or create a paradise here on earth. We're waiting for the real paradise, the new heavens and the new earth, courtesy of God himself. And in the meantime, God's calling on our lives is to be salt and light. Back to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Back to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Pray. Pray. So that society becomes, in verse 2, peaceful, and you're able to live a peaceful and quiet life, godly, meaning holy, in accordance with what the Bible teaches, dignified in every way. This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved, all people to be saved, and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Truth still matters. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. This is God's will for every society and for every nation on earth. And in order for that to be accomplished, you have to be committed to that vision. Your family has to be committed. You have to make choices individually toward that end, toward that objective. The church should be working toward this objective. So that truth can be proclaimed openly and honestly so that we can have a church and churches that are the ones that Jesus envisioned when he hung on the cross. We need to be very careful that we don't justify recreating God in our own image and rebranding Christianity the way it has unfortunately happened in many circles so that it does not resemble biblical Christianity. And I believe that if we were to do that, If the revival were underway, where we really got serious about Jesus and the king and the kingdom, then the millennials who are looking for salvation without even realizing it and looking for community without even realizing the nature of where that comes from, from within the heart, the revival and the satisfaction that they need and that they want would come. And it would come not courtesy of a government or a man-made institution. It would come courtesy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why it's important for you and for me, for people of faith everywhere, to start taking our faith that we profess really seriously and to say, I want to be the person, the instrument of change that the world is desperately looking for. Because God has put into each and every one of us a desire for communion with our Creator and communion with each other and to make real That ancient and yet applicable prayer of Jesus, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God's will is for you and for me and for people everywhere to be people of prayer who are aware of what's happening in the situations around them. People who are paying attention so that they can pray. And so that God's will that we live peaceable, godly lives centered upon, as 1 Timothy chapter 2 says, The person and the works of Jesus Christ is not just a vision, everybody, but it is a reality. Speak the truth in love. Don't compromise on the truth. 
Don't compromise on the love, but for the love of God literally and for the love of your neighbor for this particular time in history, get your head out of your bucket. Church, we must arise. Jesus Christ speaks to every issue known to society. He did it then, he's doing it now. And it's time that we represent him well. Interested in requesting Michael Anthony for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com. You can get more resources just like this through the app and website too.